Welcome to the Witness and Persecution Podcast with Nick and Ruth Rifkin, where we equip you with biblical principles and truths and practices learned from believers and persecution to help you cross the street and cross the oceans with the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Anthony Ball, and if you've been enjoying the Witness and Persecution Podcast, we've gotten a lot of great feedback over these last many episodes. If you've been blessed or particularly uh, impacted by one of the episodes, we encourage you to go to the platform that you use to like and subscribe to Witness and Persecution, the podcast, and also to leave us a review. That helps us to continue to spread the word. And Nick, we were talking a little bit before the show, and uh, we now have listeners in all 50 states and Washington, D.C., and also over 100 countries. And so it's been amazing just over this last year uh, to see so many places around the world where this message is hitting. And so, uh, listeners, when you when you like and subscribe and leave a review, you are a part of getting that message out and getting the word of, of the podcast out. And so, Nick, I know we were talking a little bit as we were preparing for this episode and, and preparing for the show. I want to jump into it because you said something to me that I uh, was completely surprised by, and I didn't expect to ever hear you say. Uh, but you basically said after 37 years, 38 years on the field, you've pretty much completely rethought some of the mission world and you've completely retooled, I guess, in your mind, uh, what mission work is. And so I don't leave our listeners hanging because I want to find out the answer to this. Um, why don't you jump into it today? After all these years, all these decades, what has made you start to really rethink some of the, the ways and the things that we do, uh, in the mission world? Well, um, we're laying in bed doing our nightly devotions and Ruth is reading from streams in the desert is oh, a yeah. little book we're going through again. And we don't do anything really chronologically except around Easter and around Christmas. And so this was a, uh, February the 24th, um, chapter or whatever they call it in streams in the desert. Some of them are long, some of them are short. And, and Ruth read, this, uh, though John never performed a miraculous sign, all that John said about this man was true. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to unpack that a little bit and read this devotional to our listeners. But that just, it just hit me like a lightning bolt, I think, because I got to talking to my wife what I heard the Holy Spirit say in that devotional. And she got out of bed and went uh, somewhere and got pen and a notepad and started taking notes of what I've said. And then over the next couple of days, as I've driven our grandson home uh, from uh, 30 some miles from where we live, uh, I've thought of it some more. And I've called her from the truck and said, uh, Mama, here's a. Here's something else. And she said, hold on. And she went and got the piece of paper. And so I just got all of the notes that she's taken the last few days and then sat in here and prayed over them for a couple hours and and wrote this stuff down. Because what I want to do with our listeners, I want to ask them four questions that that Jesus wants to answer for them. And that is, who are we? Who? And then I'm going to spend most of the time in how. And then I'm going to do where, and then I'm going to do why. And, and, and uh, part of this is when they, when they came 
to Jesus. And that young man said, Jesus, uh, uh, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And, and I, I'm, uh, I'm reading from uh, Matthew 22. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. And the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. And he says all the laws of the prophets are bound up in these two things. Mm. Loving God and loving your neighbor. And, and I just got to thinking about what I emphasize 95% of the time, Anthony, is the last 10 minutes of what Jesus said before he ascended in heaven. And I haven't spent it. So I haven't spent most of my time like Jesus did. Uh, let, me, let, uh, let me get to that in a moment. But when we talk about the who, we've done that in other podcasts. So I'm not going to really uh, beat that dead horse again. But I, I think I've been going about this mission embracing world persona that Ruth and I am, I've been going at it backwards. Hmm. It's, it's not that it's wrong, but as we say in rural Kentucky, I sure did get the cart before the horse. Hmm. And that's hard for the horse to push that cart. It's much easier for the horse to, to, to pull that cart. Because I almost, I almost always start with the where with where God wants, or we say in Kentucky, were, with the where that God wants us to go and how only 2% of our churches sand and how 3 billion people haven't heard. And, and, and I think, again, while all of that is important, uh, I'm trying to build the house on the sand. And it breaks my heart. Wow. I think I've built a house on the sand. And, and, and when I... When this devotional was done, I'm almost weeping, but I'm talking to my wife, and she went and got a piece of paper. She's taking notes, and she just said, Nick, uh, I will not let you alone until you make this your next podcast. So I've been living with it for some time. And so when we ask, who are we? Jesus said, uh, we're uh, sheep among wolves. But once he identified, pushed that reset button, and said, here's your identification. Here's who you are. You're sheep, and I'm going to send you to the wolves. But then, then, then the how kicked in. You know what he did, Anthony? The first place he sent them was to their neighbors. And he said, don't take a cloak. Right. Don't take any food. You can, you can rely on Jewish hospitality. You can spend the night in their homes. Guess what? You don't have to learn language. You don't have to learn culture. And, and, and if you really wanted to, and you got a bellyache or something bad happened, you could walk home at night because hmm. you're going to be pretty much around in the Jerusalem area among Jewish people. And, and, and it's going to be like just where you grew up. But I'm going to send you the how is that that once he said, I'm sending you a sheep among wolves where he sent them first were to their neighbors. To their own people. And just imagine the fear we have of not going to our neighbors. And the first time we're going to do this church planning stuff and carrying out the Great Commission stuff, we've got to learn language and culture before we ever try to plant a church in anybody's house, let alone our own. 
let alone our own. And so he showed them how in Jerusalem, in Judea, right off the bat, right off the bat. He just, you know, when they ask him, uh, Master, where you live? He said, come and see. So look what Jesus did. The how to do the kingdom of God consumed his three years. And all of those men, those 12 men that followed him, all those women that brought the resources, they're named in the first of Luke. They're named in the middle of Luke. They're named at the tomb, some of them, who brought their resources and followed him. And one of them had a husband that's in Herod's household. You know, is in the ruler's household. And so what is the how? What, what did he teach them how to do? He taught them how to feed thousands. 3,000 one time, 5,000 another. He taught them how to trust God over a few loaves and fishes. And that when you take what you have in your hands, watch how God multiplies it. And, and he showed them how to feed the thousands. He even showed them how to walk in a crowd. And when a woman with an issue of blood touched him, how to be spiritually sensitive to what was going on around him to be able to see that one woman, feel that one woman, sense that one woman when a big crowd is around her. And he modeled for her. Uh, they said, well, Master, uh, so many people are touching you, but I felt the power go out of me. And then he turned to that woman and he dried up her issue of blood. Mm -hmm. He showed them how to see the need amongst the multitude that thought that it was their needs that had to be met when Jesus chose the needs that needed to be met the most. That's right. You can quote me on that. Mm. He, he showed them how, how to look in. He, he showed them how to go to Samaria. So in, in, in those three years, he showed them how to do Jerusalem. He showed them how to do Judea, and he showed them how to go to that sullied woman. No, no, this is a different story. They came and threw that woman at his feet when he, when he mm. with a bunch of teachers and a bunch of critics, and, 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 and she begins to wash his feet with her tears and, and anoint him with oil, and, and they're saying to themselves, does not the master know what kind of woman this is. And, 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 and he told them to pick up a stone and those who without sin cast the first stone. And, and, and when no stone was cast, he looked at that woman and he said, woman, neither do I condemn thee, but go and sin no more. And, and look what the how he showed his disciples, how to deal with critics and be merciful at the same time. That's right. He's teaching the how a centurion took, came to him and said, a Roman. So now you're, you're getting further out with influence, but in a local area through the people that God has already brought to your city, through the internationals that God has brought next door to you. And the centurion says, my daughter is sick. And Jesus said, let's go see her. And he said, no, I command legions. And when I tell them to go do this, they go and do this. And I tell them to do that, and they do that. All you have to do, Master, is command, and my daughter will be healed. And Jesus spoke the word, and he says, I've not met greater faith in all of Israel than this Roman centurion in his own backyard. In his own backyard. Now, what's important to know this is Jesus didn't have to learn Latin 
to talk to this guy. This guy had learned the language of Palestine, and he sought Jesus out. That's what internationals will do. That, that, when they're truly hungry, they're, they're going to ask you a question like, uh, do I have to go to that church, or, or how do I become a Christian? And like I told you earlier, I sat with a, an Albanian a young man this week at an international event, and I'm not going to name him, but he came up and said, you know, I was born in Albania, a Muslim, and we're just sort of culturally Muslim, but we're Muslim. But now that I'm with all of these college students and I'm in Kentucky and I'm around all these Christians, they want me to become a Christian. Uh, can you tell me how to become a Christian? And I said, I, I never will. I don't want you to become a Christian. Hmm. Not the same way you become, you're a Muslim, that your identity in Albania is to be a Muslim, and now that you're in a what you see as a Christian country, you want to take on the Christian identity. I said, I, I, I don't ever want you to become a Christian. And, and leaders at other tables now are listening in, and I can tell they're not real happy until I said, what God wants from you is, is uh, whether or not you're willing to give your life and follow Jesus. He said, but what, what does that do to my ego? I said, that transforms your ego. That gives your ego a purpose, and it gives it a desire for God. Right now, your ego gives you a desire for yourself. And what you want is have a desire to chase after Jesus. And he looked at me, and he said, this is a whole different sport that you're playing. This is a whole different reality. I thought this was about becoming a Christian and identifying with those around me, but you want me to be crucified with Christ and to identify with him and then uh, go home and love my parents in Jesus' name. I said, now you've got it. Don't let anybody sell you on Christianity that hasn't lived Jesus out for you. This is what Jesus is doing. How to heal the centurion daughter at a prayer, at a distance. Uh, he, he goes in the market with these women, men. It looks like an in extended family traveling for the day. And he, he picks up seed and he scatters it. And he talks about the seed that falls on the rocky ground and, and, and the thorny ground and, and, you know, the impacted ground and the path and, and then how it fell on good ground and it turned back a, a hundred foe. He showed them how the kingdom of God works and all the different type of lives that, that maybe three out of four of the people you talk to maybe will not get on the same page that Jesus is on, but you can't reach that responsive soil unless you're casting broadly. You don't know where the harvest is. Only God knows where the harvest is. Jesus is teaching them yeah. how to experience that, how to sow that seed. He's, he's, He's teaching them how to cast out demons, how to cleanse the lepers, how to take a demonic guy in the Gadarenes out of the caves with broken chains and who had a legion of demons in him. And Jesus models how to cast them out of that guy and how to cast them in to pigs and the pigs run off the cliff and, 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 and the farmers want him to leave the area because he hit them in the pocket. But there's parts of this world I've been to. If you park demons only in first century Christianity while Jesus was present on the earth and the disciples still alive, there's a lot of countries I don't want you to ever go to. Mm. There's one country that when we ask people, uh, 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 
I don't want to give it away. I don't want to embarrass them. But when we ask them what the number one disease they have, they have eye infections, they have ear infections, they have throat infections, they have skin infections, they've got malaria, they've got a belly full of parasite. Some of them are lame, they're deaf, they're dumb. Uh, it's just like in the Bible. And, and, and they're asking them, in Jesus' name, how many of you all want to be healed? And everybody's hand is going up. And in Jesus' name, just like in Matthew 11, when John the Baptist asked Jesus, are you the Messiah? He didn't ask, answer the question with a definition. He said, you go back and tell what you see in the marketplace, how I am working. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised from the grave, and the gospel is being preached to the poorest of the poor. Where do they show up in our churches? Ouch. Where do they show up? That's right. Oh, we'll go to Africa, but we won't go to downtown. We won't go to the West mm. End. And, and and when bussing comes, we'll create, oh, I better not say this. <laughs> I, I don't dare say that the genesis of white Christian school is because of the mixing of black and white people through busing. Mm. But wow. the roots of it has to do with educational needs, uh, but it has to do with not wanting to be around certain people who have certain activities in their lives, who have dysfunctional families, who are a different race, a different culture, a different lingo uh, of English. Uh, and so we move out and establish white enclaves uh, and we take one step away from who our neighbors are. Ooh, that's a really good, that's a good statement. And so then One Jesus, from our neighbors. yeah, so Jesus, Jesus taught them, modeled for them how to cast out demons, how to cleanse those lepers, how not to make a journey, but to stop on that journey as they went ahead looking for food and meet that Samaritan woman. Not only is she a Samaritan that the Jews did not care for at all. I'm not going to say they hated them because I, I couldn't ask them that, but I know how much they despised them. But here, it, 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 here's a single man, Jesus, sitting with an oft-used woman, and, and he asked her for water, and she says, how can you, a Jew, ask me for water? He said, if you knew who I am, uh, you would ask for me, and I would give you the bread of life. And then she tries to throw in a religious question or a Christian question, about worshiping on this mountain and the other mountain. And he said, uh, I'm not going to explain this to you till you go get your husband. And she said, I have no husband. And he said, you're right. And the other men that you lived with, you weren't married to them either. Hmm. And here he is. Wow. He revealed himself to this Samaritan woman who is so wise in the way of the world. She didn't go back to her small town and said, uh, 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 I need to tell you about how my life was changed and make it all about her. She said, I, I met a man who knew my life story. Could he be the Christ? And they ran out to meet him and they believed. And they came back and said, now we believe because we've seen him and we've heard him and we believed in him. And not just because of your, your testimony from this often used woman. Jesus and his disciples came and found him. He's modeling them how to witness to the lowest of the low, this often used woman 
who was one of the first evangelists he ever sent out. Wow. Just she had never met John wow. the Baptist. John the Baptist's job was to prepare the way for the Christ. This woman did exactly that. She prepared the way for the Christ in a town that scorned her, that turned to Jesus. And the only thing I'm sorry about is we don't have the second and third chapter of that story to find out how it turned out after they all believed. I think we can assume if they truly came to Jesus, what happened? What else did he teach them how to do? How to raise Lazarus from the dead? How to break bread in Mary and Martha's house and other people's houses? That's what he's doing all over the place to the extent, Anthony, that when Pentecost breaks out in Acts 2 and Acts 4, and it's estimated there's 10,000 people in the kingdom of God, that Jesus had taught his disciples and the women that followed him, and he had been in their houses, his disciples, and their mother's houses, and he's been in those women's houses, and those that he healed and touched and cleansed and fed houses, that after Acts 2 and Acts 4, 10,000 people immediately in, went into houses that Jesus and his followers had created goodwill inside of them, and the house churches, by tens of thousands, had a place to worship overnight. Jesus showed them how to do that for three years. Not a drive-by shooting, not a four spiritual laws, which I was talking to one of my uh, best evangelist buddies the other day, and he reminded me, he said, Nick, I've heard you say a lot, witnessing is two-thirds listening and one-third talking. Once you find out what God is already doing in that person's life, and this man leads senators to Christ. He leads high politician, high military people to Christ. God has just given him favor. But he reminded wow. me on that telephone call, he's decided to be generous and to do just what Jesus did. And, and that is just to take Jesus in homes wherever he is. And he just finds favor uh, in, in doing that. He showed them how to surrender to God's will even after he asked his father for the cup to pass. That's hard. That's really hard. And he modeled for them how to set the agenda and allow his arrest to take place at the time and the place of his choosing, not at Judas's initiative. This was Jesus's initiative. And he taught them how to allow his way, his arrest, his humiliation, and obtain a witnessing presence among rulers like Herod and Pilate until Pilate says to the whole crowd, I find no fault in this man. Jesus taught his disciples through his sufferings how to become a witness to the highest levels of government which he prophesied was going to happen with John the Baptist in Matthew 10 when he said, I'm going to let you be arrested by the secular and the sacred powers and they're going to do terrible things to you, but you go where you don't have access. I'm sending you as a witness to them. And then he modeled how to do it. Wow. And then look what he did. He modeled how to die how to die for others 
how to die for others on a cross. Bruised, broken, bloodied, but unbowed. And he hung on that cross until he could say to his fathers in heaven, and his disciples have repeated it over and over again to now you and I have access to it. Jesus said, now it's finished. I can go home. Mm. Into my father's hands, I commend my spirit. And though most of them fled, and John's at the cross with Jesus' mother, John, they repeated this over and over again, Jesus showed them how to live, Anthony. He showed them how to die. And then finally, he showed them his resurrection power and how to live that resurrected life. But it wasn't until his last words that they get the where that I've always done 90% of the time and the why. Hmm. Jesus is ascending to heaven. It's, it's probably the last five or ten minutes, as we have recorded in the Bible, Jesus is on the mount a little bit higher and looking down on his disciples. We don't know how many. And he said to them, all authority on heaven and earth is given unto me. And now comes what we call that great commission. And he says, go. Go into all of the world. And, and it, it, it's not until almost his final breath where he, he, he gives them the command of, of where to go, not just Jerusalem, where you don't have to learn the language, not just to de, de Judea that, that you really are in, in, in lockstep with, but also to Samaria, which is beyond your comprehension. You would never greet these people. You would never allow them in your homes or in your uh, temple or your synagogues. And Jesus opened the door and showed them how to start embracing those that they don't like on their very borders, but not until his last words do we get the commandment to go to all the peoples of the earth. That's where I start. You know what I do? I start with sheep among wolves in Matthew 10, and then I skip over and go to Matthew 28. And I don't have anything in between. And if you're a church that preaches only from Romans to Revelation, you probably don't get any of this because Romans revelation is Christian talking to Christian. And so this is not Anthony. Uh, this is not what you can get from a seminary. You, you can't get this from a Bible college because they don't live where you live. They're not on the ground. Uh, that, that woman with an issue of blood, she can't go to that school. That centurion, you think he's going to show up? at one of our schools and seminaries and ask how I, how I can know Jesus? Uh, uh, you, you see what I'm saying? All, what, what our schools can do, and they do it marvelously, is polish Christians and train us as Christians. But, but they can't do house churches and loving their neighbors and sharing meals with them because we're located in buildings in our colleges and our seminaries, our Bible colleges and seminaries, and our churches. And we teach how to, to have people come and see, but we don't model for people how to go and tell and to love and to heal and to cast out and to break bread and, and, and to make your home the center of places where Jesus is worshipped. I've done the where. 
and I've neglected the how. Hmm. Because even though Ruth and I always say everything that God has done, God is still doing, there still is this thing in the back of my mind where I was brainwashed is that today God doesn't do these things anymore. He doesn't cast out demons because demons don't exist. And if a woman has the issue of blood, let her go to her OBGYN. What if she's too poor? Mm. What if she has no transportation? What, what if she's at the ends of the earth and you're it? You're it. You either pronounce healing over that leprous body and you pronounce healing for that woman with the issue of blood. You pronounce forgiveness for that much maligned and used woman. Otherwise, it doesn't get done. And she goes back to her own people and she starts being the first evangelist that Jesus sent out cross-culturally. How about that? How about that? And so Incredible. we get the who, sheep among wolves. We we get the uh, 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 the where to the ends of the earth. And then we end up with the why. Why do we do all what we do? Because Jesus said to do it. Jesus said to do that. But remember, Jesus showed them how because before he gave them the where and the wow, all done in local communities where new followers could gather in homes. The how takes place at the feet of our grandparents and parents and neighbors and through acts of grace in the marketplace that leads us to our homes. Acts of grace in the marketplace that leads us home. And I've already talked about uh, uh, the, the, the college and seminary, they have a role to play, but they're, they are shining the gem. They are taking that raw diamond and, and cutting it into facets where it can really show off its inner beauty. But they cannot teach us how, as they are neither local nor are they global. Mm. They're neither local where we live nor global where we are to go, and this task is found in the church in your homes and perhaps through churches in buildings, but at seven, seldom takes place. Jesus showed 12 men and many women how first. Anthony, the longest distance that we believers have is between our mind to our heart. And we've got so much head knowledge of Jesus, but it's the heart that takes you across the street. And it's the heart that takes you in the marketplace. And it's heart that takes you to that woman uh, with the issue of blood and that woman who has been overused by men and that Samaritan woman. It's your heart that sustains you when your mind can't figure this out. What we're doing with literate theological education is we're filling the mind and oftentimes not touching the heart. And where they are filling the mind through the heart, there's nothing, no, there, there's little education that's better than that. But if it remains education and how to lead Christians, uh, then it's lost the how. We're teaching how to do expository preaching. We're teaching how to pastor Christians. We're teaching how to be seminary professors. 
We're not teaching how to be in the marketplace with lost people and gathering them right. in their homes, in our homes. And then once he taught them how, then he told them, now you're going to do this everywhere. They could not go everywhere until they walked with someone and experienced in their own backyard the how that you do this. And once they knew the risen Christ, he had given them all the how. All they needed was the resurrection power, and they had all the training. Well, see, it's not training. It's how you, it's how you operate a changed life under the Holy Spirit of the living God, and there's nothing that Satan can't do to people that you can't take away from him. Mm-hmm. That's right. Their illness, their demons, their lostness. We are reclaiming souls that Satan should have never had access to if we had done our homes the way that we should have. Doctors, nurses, teachers, water specialists, church planners, whoever goes overseas, no matter how trained they are, if they're going and just doing nursing, doing water wells, uh, doing the, the best that doctors can do, uh, uh, doing uh, things that, that help people in their daily lives. If you do that without the power of the resurrected Christ, then you've forgotten what Jesus did with his disciples and those women on how to do this for three years. Hmm. Let me read this devotional to you that changed, that makes me want to go back to where I was a new Christian and focus on the how and not how I proclaim the how in bite-sized 30-minute, 40-minute sermons to those who are already Christian. And this guy says, perhaps, forgive me for reading, perhaps you are dissatisfied with yourself. That's many followers of Christ in the church. They, They know that they're supposed to go from A to Z, but they don't know how to go to B, to Y. Hmm. They don't know how. Yeah. No one's modeled for him. You are not a genius, have no distinct, distinctive gifts, and are inconspicuous when it comes to having any special abilities. Hmm. Mediocrity seems to be the measure of your existence. None of your days are noteworthy, except for their sameness and the lack of zest, yet in spite of this, you can live a great life. John the Baptist, he writes again, never performed a miracle, but Jesus said about him, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, Luke chapter 7, 28, and his mission was to be a witness to the light, John 1, 8, he was to prepare the way for the Christ and no amount of theological learning is to replace the presence of Christ at his altar. That's right. It's not like we would say in Africa, it's not the God, the Father, and God, the Son, and God, the missionary. Hmm. (laughs) Oh, God, help me. Wow. When I replace the living power of the Holy Spirit and tell new believers what God can do and what God can't do. And then you hear resonating in my bed with my wife, is anything too difficult for me? 
Hmm. Well, we know the answer to that. Let me finish reading. Be willing to only to be only a voice that is heard but not seen. Our mirror whose glass the eye cannot see because it's reflecting the brilliant glory of the sun. Be willing to be a breeze that arises just before daylight saying, the dawn, the dawn. And then the breeze fades away because the sun has come. Do the most everyday and insignificant tax, task knowing that God can see. If you live without difficult people, win them over through your love. If you once made a great mistake in life, do not allow it to cloud the rest of your life, but by looking, locking it secretly in your heart, make it yield strength and character. We are doing more good than we know. The things we do today, sowing seeds or sharing simple truths about Jesus, people will someday refer to as the first things that prompted them to think of, of Him. For my part, I will be satisfied not to have some great tombstone over my grave, but just to know that common people will gather there once I'm gone and said, He was a good man. He never performed any miracles, but He told me about Jesus who led me to Him mm. for myself. This is by George Matheson in February 24th of the book that I quoted to you earlier. Wow. The how, Anthony. We've got the who are we figured out pretty much. As long as we know that we're in Christ, no matter where we go. But what we haven't figured out is the way that we can trust God in the distant countries of the world is by walking with Him across the street and with our families and with those who want to go on the journey with us and healing the sick and clothing the naked and praying for those who have died and praying for those in Jesus' name that have never been prayed for by name in, in their lives and, mm. and, and doing what Jesus said. Go back and tell John what you hear and you see. My Messiahship is proven by what I do with my followers in the marketplace where the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised, and the gospel is preached even to the poorest of the poor. Wow. It, how are we doing the how of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and Acts? I don't know whether I want to do devotions with my wife anymore before going to bed because it cost me about two hours of sleep that I could ill afford to lose. But when you're in God's Word and you're with someone you love and you're opening yourself up to God, sometimes He just says, get out of bed. Mm. And he told, me, he, he told me to begin speaking, and my wife got out of bed and went and got a notepad and a pen and began writing down what God had taught me almost for the first time, Anthony, through the words of this devotional as my wife read it before we held hands and prayed to go to bed that night after lifting up those that we pray for on a daily basis. Oh, to experience the presence of Jesus 
after 37 years on the mission field and 70 years on this earth hmm. and have the inner self renewed even while the shell is decomposing. But wow. we know what's eternal. That's right. Oh, I wish I could start over. Hmm. And I wish I could start over going to churches and talking about the how before the where, where and the why. Yeah. So, mm. praise God, I'm not dead yet. Got a chance to get it right. <laughs> Even this weekend. Where am I? Where are we going this weekend, brother? Well, this weekend, our listeners are probably going to hear this after we've already gotten back, but we're going to Opelika, Alabama, which I had to look that on a map. Uh, but they are, you're going to, you're not going to like this, Nick. They are in uh, SEC enemy territory. They're about five miles or eight miles outside of Auburn University, Auburn well, Tigers. And so I've read up there. They're a really good church with a really, really good pastor and leader. And, and uh, <laughs> uh, I've been in enemy territory most of my life. So, hey, go cats. Auburn's nothing, right? <laughs> no, Auburn's 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 something always to be concerned about, whether it's basketball, uh, football, or whatever. And so, uh, those That's Tigers right. are to be uh, reckoned with. And and so, uh, I I am not gonna. I didn't go uh, to Islam making fun ever of their prophet because I'm not going to get killed for the wrong reasons, and I'm not going to go to Auburn and get killed over basketball. That's right. <laughs> or football. That's exactly right. <laughs> or football. Either one. Or football. Either one. No. <laughs> you know, and Nick, that's a that's a good point because um, we we forget to mention on those podcasts a lot. Uh, but for our listeners, Nick and Ruth still travel pretty frequently. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of times in the United States now. But if you go to nickripkin.com slash speaking, you can both look at where they will be over the next two, three, four months or the next semester. If you're in the area, we'd love for you to join us. Or if your church uh, or your organization is, is thinking about maybe bringing Nick and Ruth in to do a workshop and to do uh, an engaging weekend and talking about these things, talking about the how, um, learning how to do the how and things like that, uh, you can submit a form. We can't always say yes to every request that comes in, but uh, we would love to see if there might be an opportunity to to serve your church or to serve your organization. So go to nickripkin.com slash speaking. Find out where Nick and Ruth are uh, from weekend to weekend. And then also it gives you an opportunity if maybe you want to get your church plugged into something like that as well. You can uh, find all the information there uh, to do that. And Nick, I'm, I, it just makes me think as we're talking about uh, wanting to go back and start over and going back into churches uh, that's a powerful message that you have lots of churches lined up over these next several months uh, to share that message in. And not only for you to share that message, but I think for people who are, um, you know, a few generations back or a couple of, you're not that old. So a couple of generations, I guess, and looking to go out or churches looking to send, looking to do this. Uh, it's not too late for those churches. It's not too late for those who are sending and those who are going to, to stop for a minute and say, okay, what is the how? What do I need to do now? And what can I focus on to do this how correctly and allow the other things to fall into place? So, And Anthony, if I time. may, if I may, and we're going to have to save this for another time, but we're about in four or five months to put a resource out 
That's, that's right. hours. How many hours? Well, right now it's a little bit above 20, but I keep adding things into it. So it, it's more than 20 now. More than 20 hours of Nick and Ruth teaching a select audience video professionally done in how to be wise sheep among the wolves. And, mm. and, and I never would have articulated that way until two nights ago while we were doing devotions. But God was even having us teach how to do this because we learned it from believers in persecution. And so in video format, we're getting ready to pass on to churches, to those who go, those who sin, to believers in persecution, uh, believers anywhere who want to cross the street, cross the oceans. It's going to be 20 plus hours of teaching how to follow Jesus, especially in the hard places. And we learned it from That's believers right. in persecution. It's, it's, it's amazing. I know I'm biased, but it's amazing. And uh, for our listeners, it's not just this. It's, uh, it's actually a 4K video, which I'm not technical, so I don't know what that means, but I know it's good. Uh, but it's not just video, but it, it comes with uh, PDF resources. It comes with, with guides, and it comes with uh, just this entire repository of, of information. And so, Nick, we, we really can't wait to get that out uh, to the, not just the public, but to the global body of Christ uh, to share these very same things that we've been talking about. It goes back to a podcast we did some weeks ago that I've got a lot of feedback on it. It's time. It's time. It's time. It's time. So we're going to get it out as soon as we can, because it's time. (laughs) Well, Nick, thank you for your time. And, uh, thank you for, um, that inspiration because I think we're going to have a lot of listeners who are going to to listen to that and sit back and say, okay, that helps me figure out, learn from Jesus, the how and go from there. I think it's going to be incredibly helpful to our listeners. So to all of you who are listening today, we thank you for tuning in to witness and persecution with Nick and Ruth Ripken to find more information about our ministry, about this podcast. You can go to nickripken.com. Again, for more information, including how to support the ministry, how to support this podcast, go to www.nickripkin.com. Thanks for joining us, and we will be with you next time.